Welcome to Talk is Jericho. It is the pot of thunder and rock and roll. And I've got reigning Ring of Honor world champion Jonathan Gresham on the show. You'll hear the story about how he came to be champion at Ring of Honor's final battle show just before the company uh, took a hiatus indefinitely, although they will be coming back in April. Uh, Jonathan's also talking about what it means for him as the champion, defending the title, and what he thinks the future might hold for Ring of Honor. Jonathan's also using this unexpected downtime to start his own promotion. He and AEW's Baron Black are launching Terminus. I love that name. This Sunday, January 16th at the Croc Center in Atlanta, Georgia. Tickets are available now and the card is stacked. Jonathan will be defending the ROH title against Josh Alexander in the main event. Baron Black will take on Bandito. Other matches on the card include Lee Moriarty versus Jay Lethal, Moose versus Alice Coughlin, Daniel Garcia and Adam Priest versus Invictus Cash and JDX, plus Jonathan's wife, Impact Digital Champion Jordan Grace, will be defending her title against Kiara Hogan. Jonathan will break down the card for us and explain what makes Terminus different from the other indie promotions out there. He also talks about his final ROH show and shares his thoughts on what makes good heels and baby faces and what he thinks has been missing in pro wrestling when it comes to that psychology. He's also got some great stories from his early days training and wrestling in Japan and some of the stuff he did to get noticed in the business. And of course, we talked about WWE and whether that was ever in the cards for him. It's a great combo with one of wrestling's newest promoters, Jonathan Gresham. And you got to come see Fozzie's newest drummer, Grant Brooks, on the Save the World Tour starting again on March 31st, the next U.S. leg. We're crisscrossing the country, going everywhere, West Coast, East Coast, everyone in between. We'll even be at the Los Angeles at the Whiskey A Go-Go May 5th. Tickets available at FozzieRock.com. We're doing our legendary VIP meet and greets as well. The best of the biz. You get a private concert before the show just for the VIP. So go get your ticks and VIPs at FozzyRock.com and get your Jonathan Gresham world champion of Ring of Honor fix right here, right now on Talk is Jericho. All right. So a uh, busy man here, uh, Jonathan Gresham, here on Talk is Jericho from his car while he's driving. Yeah. Which is, are you making towns, brother? Uh, pretty much. I was just getting uh, some stuff ready for the Terminus show. I'm running my own show, uh, and myself and Black Baron are running a show January 16th here in Atlanta. Yeah, that's huge, man. I wanted to talk about that. Is it Baron Black that's doing that with you? Yeah, yeah. He's been a long-time friend of mine. I've been knowing each other over a decade, so yeah. That's great. So tell me kind of a little bit. First of all, love the name. Is it based on Walking Dead at all in any way, shape, or form? It does have a little connection with Walking Dead. Uh, both of us are Walking Dead fans, but it was also the original name of Atlanta back in the 1800s, as far as like speaking about the rail system, uh, how you know goods and services was like brought into Atlanta and shipped out of Atlanta, of course. So we wanted something that spoke volumes about Atlanta. So what better way than to have a name that actually means Atlanta? Hold on, said the the original name of Atlanta was Terminus. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's pretty uh, sci-fi. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's very cool. Do you know the origin of that? Why it was called that? I haven't done much research at all, but I did a little bit to find out why it was, and it was basically based off of the rail system. So uh, I'll probably have to dig a little deeper on that. Well, we'll, we'll let uh, everyone listening right now to tell us uh, what exactly uh, is the reason behind Terminus. But obviously, January sixteenth is the big show, and it's very exciting because. This is the first time you've ever done your own show, the first Terminus card. What's kind of the reason behind wanting to do this? Baron and I uh, came up in Atlanta. We were trained by uh, somebody that you know quite well, Big Cat, Mr. Hughes. Yes. 
we were doing indie shows together and a lot of times we'd go to these shows and things would happen, angles would happen that we didn't really agree with. And we would always chat about how we would do them differently. We joked about it and, you know, over time we kept talking about it and now we are in a better place in our lives and careers and we decided that now was the best time to do it. So we decided to create Terminus. It's interesting, like when you put together a show uh, and become a promoter, it's a whole different world of things you have to deal with that you never expected. Uh, how has that been for you? Because I know even with the Jericho Cruise, which you are going to be on, which is really cool, mm. I never wanted to be a promoter. And now just by proxy, you become one. And it's a whole different list of things that you have to uh, think about that you never really realized before. The one thing I've really been taken aback by is the other side of my colleagues and my coworkers that I, I wasn't, I just never knew about. Like uh, some people can be very aggressive. Some people can really be like a good brother and want to help out. Right. I'm seeing the good and bad of, of a lot of people that I've respected and, and spent a lot of time with over the years. So that's interesting, I guess. But just what goes into it, you have to be a special person to have a passion to promote professional wrestling. Mm -hmm. So I, want, I definitely want to thank all the men and women that do it consistently because it is a job all day, every day job. Well, it's funny. As soon as you started talking about that, I'm laughing because I, I go through the same thing every year, like I said, with the Jericho Cruise. And, and, and the, the funniest thing is, is that, of course, everybody wants to make money and I want everyone to make money too. But some people are like, like, dude, like you never want to say to somebody, you're not worth X amount of money. But when you're thinking of the pantheon of where everything slots and knowing the budget, it's like, I don't understand why you think that suddenly I'm Ted Turner or something like this. Like if I had my way, I'd pay everyone a million dollars, but unfortunately I, I can't afford that. Right. Yeah. So yeah. it's not like I'm trying to cut you down by offering you X amount of dollars. Like this is the fair amount that I think you're worth and you're worth every penny, but it's also what I can afford to do right now. Yeah. It's really funny and I hate to bring them up, but, um, Hunter Johnston, Delirious, is the promoter of uh, Ring of Honor. Right. When I was pursuing getting my contract with Ring of Honor, you know, he was a very evasive person. He has a reputation of being very difficult to get a hold of. And now, just a short couple of weeks that I've been promoting and helping with Terminus, I now understand why. <laughs> From the beginners of trainees starting in wrestling or contacting me via email, you know, phone number, text, how they got that, I don't know. But then you go have the upper echelon guys that have been wrestling for years also contacted. And it's just like, I'm, I'm very grateful that you want to be a part of it. But it's also very nerve wracking considering the relationships I have with these people. I don't want the relationship to be tainted or bothered because I can't put you on this particular show because it was already booked some time ago. And I don't want you to feel the type of way. It's got nothing to do about you. It's just I, it's not in the cards today. So I'm really understanding more so why Hunter was very evasive during that time period when I was trying to become a part of Honor. So. so how do you put together a card for Terminus? Obviously, it's your first show, debut show. Did you have an idea in mind of some of the matches? How did you get all that organized? Well, Baron and I uh, went back and forth, and we, we were at each other about decisions all the time. I love it. I love the relationship that we have. But I have a, a, a way that I look at wrestling. Mine is more so closer to if wrestling was real mm -hmm. the idea that styles make fights and uh, i feel recently in the last 10 to 12 years a lot of professional wrestlers now are at the point where they're all hybrid wrestlers right none of them have weaknesses and i believe to tell a good in-ring story you have to have a weakness 
And then that weakness, you can then tell a story of overcoming it. A lot of the men and women that I have I've approached to be a part of the first show, I believe, have that understanding. Basically, me just watching them over the years or working with them over the years, they've told me in their own way, you know, that they have a similar mindset of wrestling like me. So that's pretty much how I went. And, uh, you know, I went after the people. Baron might have another reason, but that's how I went after the individuals. So it was definitely um, a collaboration on booking. Because so. you're also calling this modern age grappling, mm-hmm. which this is kind of like you said, there's so much more of a hybrid style with a lot of the guys in this day and age. Is that where the idea came from? Yeah. So my idea is to separate the different styles of professional wrestling. And I want to just encourage men and women to promote wrestling, to, to present wrestling the way that they feel for us, for wrestling should be instead of doing it just to get bookings. So I'm going after the people that do wrestling the way that they see that it should be. Also, modern age baffling is enforcing rules. I believe in modern wrestling, rules are very relaxed. So it's very difficult to have a heel and a face. So if rules are promoted, then rules can be broken, meaning now you have a heel. Mm-hmm. If you look at any sport, whether it's soccer, I like to speak about soccer because whenever I see guys and I'm in England watching the game, they get up in arms over a technicality that the referee called. But in pro wrestling, we can no longer do that because there are no rules. So I want to help promote rules again. Thus, we have heels and faces. So modern age grappling is also about styles, but also reinforcing rules, making the referee an important part of the match again. Hmm. It's an interesting concept because you're right. It is. And you expand upon this a bit. When you say it's hard to have heels and baby faces in today's wrestling, kind of talk a little bit more about that. Why do you feel that way? Well, not everyone is going to be able to. And I'm going to use him because he's a very popular guy right now. Not everybody's going to be able to be an MJF right off the bat. Definitely coming into a company on the independence, a lot of the times you just get the match. You don't get a chance to do a promo. Right. You don't get a chance to use those words to manipulate the crowd. So you have to do it from bell to bell because that's what you're giving. You're either giving your 10 minutes or 15 minutes. And so now we need the individuals to learn that you can also be a good heel from bell to bell by just doing things from wrestling's past, making it new again, adding to that. But a lot of people believe like an eye poke or, or cutting someone off and talking crap to the fans is enough being a heel. But you have to do more now. The way information travels, the way people digest information, you just have to be more wittier. Uh, you have to be more creative now. And I feel like if you're not getting the opportunity to cut a promo, it's very difficult to get over. So now we have to use the elements that are presented to us, which is the referee, the rules of wrestling. If there are no rules of wrestling, then the heel has nothing to really use to get over. Right. You know, that's why I think a lot of the heels now are doing cool moves because they have no way to get over because there are no rules to break. So I want to help promote real heels coming back to the sport. I want to promote the heels playing their role because if you play your role, you're doing the job. You're doing the most important job, which is helping that face overcome something. You're being that obstacle for the face to overcome. It's a very astute uh, observation because a lot of guys don't pay attention to the rules. I mean, obviously, that was one of the biggest things in AEW when we first started was some guys just had no rules whatsoever. And, you know, I'm a big proponent, obviously, coming from 30 years of experience. You have to use your referee to your advantage as a babyface or as a heel. So it's good to kind of hear from your standpoint, from from being a guy who's been in the business for, I'm not sure how long you've been in the business, but I'm assuming you're probably in your 30s, maybe. Yeah, 33. 10 years, 15 years on the job. 16. Yeah, Yeah, so that's good, man, because we have to, everything goes in, in waves. First, it was all rules, like when I started. Then ECW was... No rules. 
and then WCW, some rules, and then WWE with Vince's kind of mindset was rules. So it's good to kind of see things coming around from your end too, because you have to have them. Because if not, it does turn into one big giant high spot, which can be entertaining, but that only lasts for so long as well. I agree. With you saying that, the analogy I like to use is fireworks. Fourth of July come around, I can only pop so many before I give the rest of them off to somebody else to have fun with. <laughs> so it's also good to just have a, the variety show. I always heard it coming up, but it never really resonated with me until I got a little bit older. That you need the comedy bit, you need the technicians, you need the high flyers, but everything can't be the same genre all the way through the show. You're right. And that's another thing, too, you'll figure out as being a promoter for Terminus is you want to have the variety on your show. Like I always still say to this day, like a guy like, for example, I know it was 10 years or so ago, but Santino Morella is worth his weight in gold because to have a guy with that type of comedy and, and comedic timing, it's good to have that. You don't want a whole roster full, right? but to have one of those guys throughout the show just blows things up to a different level. Yeah. I definitely agree. He's a, he's a really legit guy too, isn't he? Yeah, well, yeah, he could really work too. But I'm thinking, you know, it's the character development, which is the most important thing that connects with the crowd, right? Yeah. You know, I think it's one of the reasons why why Danhausen does so good, for example, because he's completely different from everything else that's going on. And you want that. You want to have those types of guys on your show. I agree. So for you, is, is, is Terminus something that is just a, a one and done and see how it goes or do you want to kind of make it more of a regular thing or just what's kind of your dreams and hopes for it my dreams and hopes for it is um is essentially promoting the idea of doing what you love about pro wrestling i mentioned it earlier but i really feel definitely when i go around the indies and different countries and stuff i see like heavier set guys chasing after this high impact high spot style where they're diving and it's like i'm thinking to myself I'm supposed to be doing that, but I don't want to do that because I know I only have so many bumps on my car. We hear that, but it's actually real. And it's just like, I want to protect my body because in my mind, I want to wrestle for as long as I, I possibly can. I feel like these guys are doing that because they understand that if they do these moves, the crowd reacts immediately. So the crowd reacts immediately. The promoter hears it in the back where he's watching it or he's just listening to the match. He's like, oh, this guy must be over. So if you're over, that means you get brought back. If you're over, that means you get bigger angles. If you're over, you get paid more money. And I think everybody wants that instant gratification. Very few guys are wanting to produce wrestling, you know, and do wrestling the way that they want. I think Dan House is a guy that is doing wrestling the way he wants. Before, he was just chasing the booking. Now, he's just enjoying wrestling. Mm -hmm. And I think more guys, if they do that, I think the Indies would be hotter than ever because you won't have a carbon copy of the same guys. To me, there's so many guys, and I'm not talking ill of anyone, but I feel like there's so many guys trying to be Kenny Omega, so many guys trying to be the Young Bucks. And I understand those guys are amazing, but like if you're going to try to get an AEW, because it happened at Ring of Honor where guys come in literally being Jay Lethal, and it was like, well, we already have Jay Lethal. Right. You can't right. be doing Jay Lethal stuff. So you're not impressing anyone by doing it. You're just kind of taking up people's time now. So I don't know. I just want people, I just want to encourage people to like do wrestling the way that they see it in their minds. Because just because I don't like it doesn't mean Chris Jericho won't like it or somebody else might like it. No, and it's been that way. I, I remember when I was first starting and I was one of them, everyone wanted to be Shawn Michaels. Let's all try and be like Shawn Michaels. So let's all do Owen Hart moves or whatever it may be. So like you said, the most important thing is to do something different and do it your own way. And that's kind of how you can really stand out and, and get to the next level uh, in the business for sure. Yeah. 
Let's talk about, about, about some of the stuff that, that you've done outside of being a promoter. You mentioned Jay Lethal, you mentioned Ring of Honor. Uh, final battle just happened a, a few weeks ago. And one of the, the highlight matches on the show was Jay Lethal versus John Gresham for, for the uh, Ring of Honor World Championship. Tell us a little bit about that day, because I know you were working with Ring of Honor for a while, then obviously you guys were all off for a while. Kind of tell the story leading up to Final Battle, and then we can talk more about Final Battle itself. Well, I lost the pure title to Josh Woods a couple of months before, maybe like two months before. I was kind of like, I didn't know what my direction was, but I was happy with what I had been able to do with the pure division in Ring of Honor, because I really believe that stylistically that kind of wrestling and that presentation of wrestling is um, a goldmine. I think it would really help Ring of Honor within popularity and just coming back up and uh, being a part of the current market of wrestling again. After that came up and people were talking about it and they accepted it as a part of Ring of Honor's identity, I'm thinking, okay, well, now I can just like come back down and just like just kind of help from behind as much as possible. And then I was told that there's a possibility that I'll be main eventing with Bandito for the world title. And in my mind, it's like, okay, well, now I got pressure on me, so I got to get back in the gym all this stuff. I really didn't know what was happening until a little bit closer to where they were saying that they were going to uh, go with me going forward, you know, just preparing, talking to Bandito on and off, keeping in touch and stuff. And then I don't know, like maybe a day before, two days before I get a message from Bandito on WhatsApp saying, I'm sorry, amigo. And then I'm like, Oh, what happened? And so I contacted him. He didn't hit me back. So then I contacted my buddy Dragon Lee and I'm like, Hey dude, what's going on with, um, Bandito, he just hit me up and said, I'm sorry, amigo. Then he tells me, oh, he caught COVID and all this stuff. I'm like, okay, wow, I'm sorry to hear that. By this time, it was the day before I was about to fly out. So it was like the 9th because I flew to Baltimore on the 10th. I contacted Hunter. Hunter already knew. So now there was the race to figure out what was going to happen for the main event of the final battle. At that point, I was kind of relieved because <laughs> I was like, uh, I've never been in that position before in a really big match that people were looking forward to. I've had like smaller ones, but nothing that big. So I was kind of relieved. I was like, okay, well, great. I don't have to do that match. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I was like kind of relieved. And then um, I got a, I got a call from uh, Lethal and we just shooting the shit on the phone. And then finally goes, oh yeah, there's a possibility. It might be us at final battle. And then my heart started pounding again. I'm like, oh, well. Okay. And so I'm like, that's not going to happen because you work for AEW. And then I think the next day before I left, Hunter texted me. I was like, okay, it's you and Lethal. And I was like, oh, Okay, wow. And then as it stood at that moment, it wasn't for the Ring of Honor title. So I was like, oh, great. So we're not the main event. So pressure's off. I've wrestled Lethal dozens of times before. I'm, I'm great. I'm happy. <laughs> and so I'm on the plane. And then I get the message saying, we're going to address the world title situation on hour one of Final Battle. And I'm like, oh, that can only mean one thing. That means they're actually going to go with the world title thing. So now I'm the main. I'm thinking the Briscoes and OGKs. The show starts to unravel. I know I'm the main event now with Lethal. I'm super nervous because our match time was somewhere in the ballpark of like 30 minutes or so. I've done, you know, 30, 40 minutes of wrestling before, so I'm not nervous about that. I'm just nervous about the show closing on me. Now it's like, I have to do good. Before, it's just like, I can just be me and have fun. It gets more nerve-wracking as time goes on because the referees and different people are coming to me letting me know that time is getting chopped off of the match. And I'm just like, okay. So at first we started with 30, then it went to 25. Then it went to 20. Then it went to 17. Hmm. When we go out there, Ty Sinclair goes, hey, you guys got 11. I'm like, wow. Yeah, because so many people were going oh. long. Promos went long. So, like, the main event got chopped off, and a lot of fans weren't 
aware, but the live feed went off so abruptly because we didn't have any more time. Right. So Lethal and I ended up going 15, I think. And we were we had such a long storied match and it got shot down to 11 minutes. So a lot of the story bits that were supposed to be there weren't there. But that's pretty much how the day went. It was very nerve wracking. And I never envy people in the main event position because you have to <laughs> not only follow everybody, but you also have to work with the time remaining. Which is a drag sometimes because it, it, it's one thing, once again, going back to WWE, is that the main event is always protected. Like if you're if someone goes too long, they will cut a match. They'll throw a match out. I mean, it happens in WrestleMania quite a bit where someone will say, I was right in gorilla position and my match got cut. You know, it doesn't happen as much. Not that Ring of Honor is an indie, but in that sort of a level. And it's not fair because the main event should always be protected. If you're told 30, no matter what happens by hook or by crook, you should get that 30 minutes. Wow. Well, thank you for saying that because I, I wasn't conscious of cutting a match if time was short. So now if any Terminus guys are listening, go your time. It's going to get cut. <laughs> yeah, hey, it's so important, man. We, we've had meetings about this in AEW. You have to hit your times. It's disrespectful to not do that, and it's unprofessional as well. Sure. I love the story that you told, though, where you were nervous about being in this main event position, and then when Bandito came down positive with COVID, you were relieved. Like, oh, now I don't have to do it. <laughs> I apologize for the way it might sound. I wasn't relieved that he caught COVID. That's definitely not it. No, 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 no. You're relieved that you're not in that position of being in the main event now. But is that is that really you, though, dude? Like, would you have been happy to just been on the sidelines? Or was it like a nervous pressure that you welcomed in the long run? It was definitely welcomed in the long run. But, like, I'm used to doing main events on the indies. Like, right. for me, Ring right. of Honor was something that I've always wanted to be a part of. And it's it kind of changed my life to where, like, it was tunnel vision. It was like, I want to go to ring of honor. So now that I, I got put and it was, it happened so quickly leaving the pure division. And then like two months later, I'm, I'm like wrestling towards the main event. And it's just like, it just happened so fast. If it was more of a build, I probably would have been more prepared mentally, but it was so quick. Like for me, it was like, I think after I lost the pure title, it was like four matches. And all of a sudden I was wrestling for the world title. Like maybe not even. So it was like, I didn't even get a, a proper like build It's because like, you know, COVID wrestling now is so much different from like being able to have like house shows and yeah. the big pay-per-view matches and stuff. So I did a couple of tapings and then like at the next big show, I was wrestling for the main title. Just mentally for me, I just didn't, it didn't feel like a good build. I always try to like build moves and like sequences to like where people care about them to like my main event. And I just felt like I weren't, I wasn't prepared. You know what I mean? Like story-wise. Though. No, I understand that. But after it was all said and done, even though you got cut, cause like I said, the reviews were great. The match went really good, even though it was cut. How do you feel about it now in retrospect? I had to watch it back. Like, I'm one of those guys that, like, I can't watch my match back at first. And then, like, I hear people talk about it, whether on Twitter or they message me about it. And then I start to, like, lighten up. And I'm like, okay, maybe I can watch this. Right. So then I watch it. And the first time I'm like, man, if we had more time, like, yeah. <laughs> my backstory would have come off more. And I just hated it at first. And then I started to appreciate how we were able to keep going while talking and cutting stuff out. So I, I like, I started to appreciate what we had and what we did because of the time restraints that we had. And like, we had so much stuff where we like just cut out stuff, like in the middle of it, we changed spots. And it was like, we're actually out there working together really well. And then I was proud about that. Even though the fans don't know, I watch it and I have a pride that like lethal and I were out there communicating on the, on the fly. And I was like, we did that together. And I, I'm very proud of that. So I watch it back now and I'm way more proud of it than I was initially after it was over. 
because that's a whole different art form as well having to cut matches on the fly which people might not realize it's not easy you have to think ahead uh once again you guys had no choice because you know you're going to dark at a certain time but even when you know if they're telling you to wrap up a promo or a match and you know you got to go home thinking ahead like okay what are we cutting and where are we going and you're still working and still doing stuff that's a whole other a bit of professionalism as well that's very very important to be able to have walking and talking he was instilled that in us at the beginning and i didn't know how important it was going to be to my career years later but i try to whenever i work with younger guys now i try to do the same and really encourage them to to learn how to walk and talk as well So now you're, you're, you're the Ring of Honor champion, and Ring of Honor is kind of at a, on a hiatus. I know that saying that it's done is not the proper term, but what exactly does it mean to be Ring of Honor champion now? What, what's the future for Ring of Honor? Do you know? I, I don't know. All I know is what they're telling everyone else, and that is that Ring of Honor will come back in some capacity in April, and that's for the Supercard show. Right. What it means is that, uh, and Bandito was saying it for his campaign while he was Ring of Honor World Champion. He was saying that anything is possible. For me, I had a dream. My dream was never to, I admired WWE, I admired ECW, I admired WCW, but I never looked at it and thought to myself, oh, I can be there. With my stature and everything, I just never thought it could happen. But when I looked at Ring of Honor, the first thing I said was, I want to go there. I can go there. I want to be a part of Ring of Honor. And so my entire career, all my travels, everyone I trained with, all of my stops was all in preparation for me to be a part of Ring of Honor. And in the back of my head, I always told myself it's not the most important thing, but I want to be Ring of Honor world champion. Mm -hmm. I didn't lead with that, but I always like had that in the back of my mind. And I was working all the time towards that goal. And so I think what it means to me now is that anything really is possible. I now have to set new goals and what those are. I, I haven't really figured it out yet. That is pretty cool, though, to be able to say you did, especially on the last show, on the final battle show, to walk out as the champ. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about, uh, you mentioned a few times, uh, training with, with Mr. Hughes, with Curtis Hughes. What was it like training with him? What was he like as a guy? Because I knew him a very brief time, and I can tell you some fun stories, and I will. But as a trainer, what did you learn from him, and how was he? He was um, very hard on us, but in the best way, I think. I was so obsessed with wrestling to where... I believed any and everything he said, which is good and bad. So, but, <laughs> um, he really instilled like the basics in us. And the basics is basically how I wrestle. I just do a bunch of basics back to back. I don't know. He really instilled that. And over time was really funny. I just realized that maybe, what's it, 2021? Maybe in 2019, that he used to come in with this manila folder filled with like ripped out pages from a notebook and it had scribbles on it and stuff. And he would teach us these things. And one day I was watching Roddy Piper versus Bret Hart for the IC title. And I paused it and I was like, wait a minute. I rewinded it. And I was like, Mr. Hughes literally wrote down Bret Hart matches and taught us Bret Hart spots move for move. <laughs> and so that our base is basically Bret Hart matches. So he wow. just taught us Bret Hart stuff. And I was like, wow, it's like move for move drills that we used to do in the ring. And like my base of wrestling, unbeknownst to me, was basically Bret Hart matches. Hmm. Yeah, he just did so much for us about uh, he instilled in us about not taking any crap from independent promoters and 
we had a sense of pride with our training and how we were trained and how we always um, worked hard and then politely would ask for more. And the way he taught us to do it, we would eventually get it through time. And uh, I built a lot of good relationships. He always instilled and always like helping out if you arrive early, you know, always helping out. And within doing that, it became a part of what I did. And I, I, I gained a lot of relationships because of that. And I'm very thankful now for those relationships because now with Ring of Honor's hiatus and me losing my job, I instantly was able to go back to these places that I had pre-existing relationships with because of the way Hughes trained me and told me how to go about being a wrestler and handling business. A lot of wrestling schools and wrestling coaches don't teach those types of things. And as you just mentioned, it's the most important thing. Is, is how you conduct yourself, whether you treat people with honor, especially promoters, like you mentioned, because it always does come back to you to where you sometimes need a gig. And the nicer you are and, and easier you are to deal with, the more gigs you get. Yeah, just giving back. And wrestling has given me so much. The life that I live, I wake up in the middle of the night, I look over to my right and I see my wife and all of my puppies and all my cats. We got five <laughs> pets. We got three dogs and two cats and they're all laying in the bed with this at, at night. <laughs> I just wake up and I just thank God for my life because I'm living my dream, whether I'm contracted or not, I'm traveling around the world, wrestling the best wrestlers in the world uh, and making a living from it on a regular basis. I haven't had a real job since 2008. If it all ends tomorrow, I really can't complain. I mean, I can and I will, but I, I really, I, I couldn't, you know, I've been blessed and um, definitely for someone of my height, I've accomplished way more than I ever thought I would in a land of giants. Sue, so I've ne I've never met you before. So you're a, you're a shorter guy, I guess the word would be. Yeah, I'm I'm I met Mysterio and Mysterio and I are the same height. So no kidding. Oh wow. Okay, yeah. so let's talk about that for a bit. And first of all, before I want to say one Curtis Hughes story, the first time I met him was in Japan. We were working for Tenru together. <laughs> I don't know why I remember this, but he was so excited. Because he had figured out a way that he could wear his sunglasses during a match and they would never fall off. He's like, you got to watch this, man. I'm going to be working this match and my sunglasses will never fall off. And I was like, right on. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I figured it out. So uh, that was my, that's the, the first time I could receive. So you are the same height as Ray. And that's the thing, when you're in the ring, it's hard to really judge. You know, you're in great shape. Sure. And unless you're the big show or somebody like Ray. So how was that when you first started wrestling then? Because wrestling is very much a stigma about being bigger, etc. Was it hard at first? In hindsight, yes. Because in the moment, I was so tunnel vision on making it to my goal that I was being disrespected and made fun of. And none of that stuff stopped me. None of it made me feel any kind of way. I just took it and it just fell off and I kept going. If you weren't going to allow me to do something, I was going to find someone that would. You remember Deep South? It was here in Georgia. Yeah. Developmental territory. I was working for this company called GCW. Bull Buchanan was there. A lot of guys that were uh, getting released from Deep South would kind of filter into great championship wrestling. And uh, it was in Phoenix City, Alabama. And um, I was working with Sonny Siaki one day. After the match, I thanked him for the match. And I, I went to the office and I was like, hey. I've been wrestling for these guys for a minute now and all these guys are starting to filter in from deep South. And I'm thinking, okay, well now is my time to hopefully like work with some of these new guys that's coming in and maybe go up the card at the moment. Uh, they were using me in the first match all the time. I was opening up the show. 
this is around 2006, I think. I went to the promoter and I go, hey, I would really like to learn how to like build myself to like a, a mid-card guy, you know, maybe get a chance to challenge for a belt. And maybe after that, if I do well, maybe learn how to build myself to like a main event. And then the guy basically said to me, he was like, no, you're exactly where you're supposed to be opening up the show hot. And I knew that I wanted more and I had to learn more to get to Ring of Honor. So I was like, OK, well, I can't stay here. So that's when I set out and I, I started doing matches at my school and I would record them and I would literally make a resume and I would copy and paste it every week. And I would send it to every company on the face of the planet that I wanted to work for from WWE to Impact to All Japan to Dragon Gate to New Japan to NOAA to CMLL to Triple. I would send it everywhere. And the funny thing is, is years later, I got my first ever Japanese booking because of me doing that. I also ran into people years later that remembered me because I would be relentless with these emails. I wouldn't be rude. I would just send them my resume and send them my most recent match because I felt like every match I would get better and better. And uh, I would keep doing that. And I ended up meeting Yuki years later. She worked for, she's the uh, Big Japan, or she was the Big Japan referee. I think she now referees for All Japan. But she remembered me as well from those emails. So we had like a little laugh from that. But now all the people that I was contacting for jobs, I ended up being co-workers with in the long run anyway. Mm. And so they remember me. And because of those, we had a brief, you know, funny conversation. But those conversations led to relationships. And those relationships led to friendships. And then now we keep in contact. And now I have these relationships, like I mentioned before, that I could help students that I'm helping train. I could now say, oh, go talk to these people for opportunities. And then mention me and hopefully you can get more and more as that continues. But um, that's just how it happened for me. And I would basically get looked over a lot because of my size. And I wasn't the person to want to bring this up. But in hindsight, I'm, I'm noticing now that the color of my skin had a lot to do with things, too. And it was just like very disheartening because I was hoping that that wasn't something that I would ever have to go through. But it, it, it happened and it, it still happens from time to time now. But I am in a position now where I can just ignore it and just keep going. And I had that same mentality where eventually I'm going to land where I'm supposed to be. Nothing that has happened to me has been what I had imagined in my mind. <laughs> right. I just keep going. That's all I can do. That's the only thing I can control is me keep going. So you thought that the color of your skin worked against you as well in trying to get booked sometimes? Oh, definitely. I know. My height as well. And the funny thing is, is like in the circles, it's difficult because not a lot of people are in my position. You can be black and you can be average height and you can blame a lot of things on the color of your skin, which oftentimes it, it is true. And then you can be just a smaller individual of any nationality and your height will come into play. Hmm. In the world of wrestling, my height plays a huge issue with everyone. Right. And then my nationality plays a role as well. But then when we go in the small circle of me being amongst other African-Americans, while we're all in this together, my height still plays a role. I got you. Regardless of where I am, I still have an uphill battle to fight because of my height or either my race. Combination of the two. Yeah. Exactly. So for me, I just had to learn how to accept that. And regardless of what happens, make the best out of anything that I'm given. In my mind, people look at me having a handicap. I look at my handicap as a way to tell unique stories. Because how many guys are my height walking around the independence, walking around professional wrestling? 
they're not many. So I have a unique way of looking at how to use my height as an advantage. It's a unique story to tell that is out on the show. And it's smart too. Like I know it seems crazy, but 30 years ago when I started, I was a, a short guy too, right? And I knew right from the start that I would never be the biggest guy on the show, but I could have the biggest charisma, the biggest personality, the biggest connection with the audience. And that really helped me over the years. And you can see how things changed from, you know, the mid nineties to the late nineties to where size wasn't as much of a, of a, of a difference, but at being five eleven in 1990, you might as well have been five, four, whatever you are, because everybody else was six foot eight. So how can this little guy come in here and work with these guys? Well, okay, I'll focus on my personality and my connection with the audience, which is the most important thing about pro wrestling. I don't care if it's the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, 2021, and everything in between. I definitely agree. Something I really admire about you is, please correct me if I'm wrong, but how you've been able to recreate yourself sure, yeah. so many times. Like I really admire that. And that's something that I aspire to be able to do with myself as well with my character. But I really admire that. Yeah, it's super cool. Well, I appreciate that, man. But you've been very successful because you mentioned you've been around the world, uh, worked for many different companies and everywhere like that. And obviously, we just had this lockdown and all the shit we all had to go through. But you, you mentioned wanting to go to all these different places. Did you actually go and work in Japan? Yeah, my first, I got brought over in 2011 because I was consistently sending out those emails. <laughs> One day I got contacted by Michael Nakazawa, actually. No kidding. Yeah, he goes, hey, can you come over to DDT, like, soon? Do you remember 2011? It was like, um, it was like a chemical spill. I guess whoever they had for this particular date said, I don't want to go. So they contacted me. Wow, okay. So I found, it, I found out about this later on, like, when I finally got on the flight. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, uh, I can go. And they were like, okay, can you pay for your own flight? And then we'll pay it back when you get here. And I was like, oh, man, I didn't tell them. But I was thinking to myself, I don't have that kind of money. How can I figure out this? So I asked some favors and some buddies gave me some money. And I gathered it up and I paid for the flight. Finally, fast forward to me getting on the flight. My first Japanese flight, like flying over to Japan, I get on the flight and there's nobody on. There's like five people on this international <laughs> flight. So I'm talking to the flight attendant. And she's coming around giving me the food. And she's like, do you want more? Because we got it. And so I'm like, yeah. Thank you. And I was like, where is everybody else? And then she smartened me up about the chemical spill and everybody being afraid to go over to Japan at the time. Oh, wow. Yeah. People were just like canceling that flight. I went over and I didn't have any money because the money that I did have, I had to give back to my buddies. So I landed. I didn't know that I was going to be around Kenny Omega. I ended up landing at the airport and they were like, oh, we got to wait. And I was like, why? They were like, oh, we were waiting for Kenny Omega. So I was like, oh, wow. Okay. So um, Kenny Omega arrives. I introduced myself. We get in the car. Somehow we started talking. He figures out that I'm hard on money. And he did the nicest thing. He literally gave me like a whole bunch of yen to use. I think he went to an ATM and just took out some yen and gave me yen. And I felt so bad about it to where I was like, okay, I have to give this back. It was like, I took it upon myself to like figure out a way to have money to give it back to him because I was so appreciative of it. And I didn't want to leave Japan without doing it. Hmm. But anyway, around the end of the tour, I made sure I came back and I gave him the exact amount of money. But when I gave it back to him, it was almost like, well, you didn't have to do that. But I wanted to do that. Yeah. You know, I made it a thing to do that. That was my first experience. Uh, I met a lot of people. What was DDT like, though, just as a quick segue? Because DDT, I know sometimes they had, like, some strange type of matches or some, like, I know the matches that Kenny and Nakazawa had were just ridiculous in a lot of ways. Did you have to do anything that was kind of very strange for you coming in for the first time? I did, actually. I wrestled... Uh, <laughs> 
that psych you Dino? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The psych you, yeah. Yeah. So um, the story was, I didn't find out until I got there, that Bob Sapp hired an assassin to take him out. So I had to come out as Bob Sapp, one of Bob Sapp's assassins. <laughs> so evidently, at the time, Bob Sapp used to come out with this huge bathrobe on, I guess. Mm. And so they gave me the exact bathrobe, but it was like humongous on me. It was like <laughs> draped on the floor and like hanging behind me. So they had me do my engine. I, I took it off and they announced me as like one of his assassins or whatever. And so we had the match. There was a lot of kissy, Philly stuff in there, but I was just happy. That was one of my first matches at Cork and Hall. That was 2011. It was the same show that had the phenomenal match of Kota Ibushi and uh, Dick Togo. That match was phenomenal to watch live. And did you go back to DDT a few times? No, that was uh, my first and last show with them. Gotcha. So what happened was after that, I was uh, on tour in Europe. I was actually living in Europe at the time. Oh, wow. Yeah, I was living in France, and um, I was living in a hostel with um, this guy named Hoholan. And Hoholan was Chinese, and he was from Hong Kong. He ran a small promotion there that was hooked up with Zero One in Japan. And so we trained together, did shows together. And one day he goes, hey, would you like to come to Hong Kong? And I was like, yeah, let's do it. So he hooked me up with um, his show. And he also had me do a show and some training in Taiwan. I fly over. I get ready to do the show with this guy named Jason New, who now wrestles for Dragon Gate. We plan the match. We do the match. After the match, a guy named that was booking zero one named Nakamura walked up to me. And he was like, I want you to come to zero one and then i was like oh okay when he was like now and i was like okay <laughs> and so in between that trip he flew me over to zero one to do the um fire festival the heavyweight tournament but i was with the juniors doing like the matches in between the heavyweight right so that's when i got a chance to meet kuto idaka who was like the head trainer and like the booker of the junior division and so that started my relationship with zero one so I started with Zero One in 2012, which was the next year after the DET stuff. And I worked with them until 2013. I botched that pooch too. <laughs> How'd you botch it? Zero One at the time was doing um, not that great business. I was already, like I told you before, I'd already known like Yuki from Big Japan. Right. And Big Japan and Zero One kind of did business from time to time. Mm -hmm. So at the time they had put me over for their junior title. I had like all these belts and stuff. So I was like getting flown over throughout 2012 for like two weeks at a time, but I would do like two matches. So I was like, I want to wrestle more. So I remember one day I went in the office after training and Nakamura was like on the other side of the room. And I went to uh, Oki-san, which is like the guy that did all the flights and stuff, I guess. Right. And the booking. So I said, excuse me, Oki-san, is it okay if I like wrestle for Big Japan sometimes or do other indie shows in Japan? Time I said that, Nakamura-san was working on his computer and he looked over the computer and was like, Yeesh. and then went back to work. And I didn't know what that meant until the next tour when I slowly started losing all my belts. <laughs> <laughs> and then all of a sudden I just stopped getting brought back again. And it was basically, I guess, the weird relationship with how like the Japanese company do business. I just, I didn't know how they did business. And so that wasn't good for me to ask to go work for other companies. Yeah, you wish you had a little bit of a, of a handbook when you go to Japan. I've, I've been there before, too, where, like, you just say one wrong thing and you're like, what did I say? 
Right. <laughs> like maybe you don't come back anymore. Right. 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 <laughs> as, as we start to <laughs> as we start to wind wind down here, I mean, obviously you've had a, a very successful career, which has been great. And you mentioned earlier, which is something that's very interesting to me, your wife, who's Jordan Grace, also a wrestler. How is the dynamic of being married to a wrestler who's also kind of hustling the scene like you are? Do you guys get to see each other a lot? Do you get booked together? Are you always crossing paths in the night? For a long time there, we it was like us crossing paths in the night, like two ships, yeah. Yeah. But then yeah. we started to figure it out. After we started giving a little more thought, because we got tired of not being around each other, we started to like get booked in either the same countries and stuff. So for example, like before the lockdown, 2019, we actually ended up getting booked for progress in the UK. And I think either before or after that, we decided to take a week long trip vacation and Venice, we did that. And that was really cool, but it was really cool because we didn't have to pay for the uh, international flight. Right. All we had to do is take care of the domestic and then the Airbnb. And we just vacationed and had pizza and wine for like four or five days. It was awesome. <laughs> so we kind of had to figure it out, though. Last few things is now one thing about working and one thing about Terminus. So what kind of is your plan right now? Obviously, because we are opening up a little bit more. And you mentioned now as the Ring of Honor champion, still waiting to see what happens with that. What are your plans for the next little bit to continue to build this great name that you've already done such a good job of building? Again, with the rules of pro wrestling, I believe the pure wrestling rules that originated in Ring of Honor are just a twist on just having rules in general in wrestling. And I just want fans to see that stories can be told when rules are implemented. So my goal is to defend the Ring of Honor world title under pure rules around the world. I did it in L.A. I did it in Alabama. And my goal is to next year, take it to England, take it to Germany and wherever else I get booked going forward until Ring of Honor comes back. I'll decide then what I'm going to do and what my future will be after that. I'm not sure if I will continue wrestling. I'm not sure if I'll join a bigger promotion. I'm I'm just not sure. So you have the ability, shall we say, or or they want you to go around the world with the Ring of Honor title and continue to defend it as much as you can? Um, They haven't given me any direction. This is something I'm taking upon myself to do. I'm not really forcing it on anyone. Promotions are actually coming to me, asking me to do it. And so I'm very grateful for that, that um, the Ring of Honor world title still holds weight with a lot of people around the world. Mm-hmm. I'm just grateful that this I'm in this position. And, you know, with Terminus and Ring of Honor going down, or on hiatus anyway, it's kind of presented me with a, a, a way to enjoy wrestling even more now because I, I love traveling. I love wrestling new guys, testing myself. It's just giving me an opportunity to have more fun again because within the Ring of Honor locker room, there's only so many guys I can wrestle before. It's like, it's a repeat again. Right. And now I'm getting an opportunity to wrestle new people with different mindsets, younger guys with ambition and different ideas will eventually help me with my ideas. So it's a blessing in disguise, I think. Did you ever have any uh, WWE tryout or anything like that over the years? No, I remember I was in contact with Canyon Seaman maybe before my second contract with Ring of Honor. So that might have been 2018, but nothing came of it. Would you ever want to do that? With the way WWE has been, I would probably want to do that closer to the end of my career. Yeah. So let's let's finish it off with Terminus once again. So it's a big show. It's exciting that you're doing this. Are you going to be working on the show? What's the main event of the show? Give us one last little kind of plug about it. Right now, we don't have a main event. We're still building to that. We have the players. We're just trying to figure out what the best uh, main event can be after we put all the match together. At this point, 
we've already announced, I believe, four matches. I believe we have Lee Moriarty versus Jay Lethal. Wow. My wife, Jordan Grace, defending her digital media title from Impact against Kiara Hogan. Janaya Kai versus uh, Pacific Northwest standout Liza Hall. And then we have, uh, I think that might be it, actually. I might be missing one. Moose. I got Moose versus Alex Coughlin. Yes, yes, yes. Moose versus <laughs> Alex Coughlin. New Japan. We, we're really just going to wait and announce the rest of the matches. And I like listening to the fans and just kind of see what they want to do. We got lots of talent, too, which is great because I'm looking through the list and there's like a bunch of guys, some that I know, some that I don't. But it seems like this is uh, the graphics look good. The name looks cool. And, you know, like I said, that's such a big deal in this day and age is it looks cool. Like if I was in town, I would go to this show. Awesome. So if it's successful, do you want to do some more? If it's successful, I think it will force my hand to definitely do more. Again, like my goal was to just help or encourage the independents to like present wrestling the way that you envision it in your mind. Because this is me doing it now mm -hmm. with the show. And I've been doing it with my wrestling, but now I'm doing it with an entire show, hopefully. If people want it and the demand is there, then I will definitely move forward and do another one. Last question for you. Which uh, of all the matches you've had is the one that stands out as being your favorite? Ooh, I just had this conversation. Actually, I just wrestled Alex Coughlin on a New Japan Strong show. Mm. And I really like that because I feel like it shows my vision of what pro wrestling can be. In the match, it tells a story. We don't kick or punch or strike at all. Mm. And it tells a story that I'm, I'm proud of. And it was a 10-minute a match. And I've had 30-minute matches. I've had these big promoted matches. But this match in particular is my favorite. We don't use these new hybrid moves that wrestling have gravitating towards we use wrestling moves and we go out there and we tell a good story from bell to bell and that is a match that i'm really proud of is new japan strong something that you're working with uh, regularly because they're starting to do more now aren't they yeah they are starting to do more i'm not sure what rocky's plan is or what the office's plan is i have been a part of uh, a few of the shows so if they they want to use me more i'm definitely into it but uh as of right now i'm just like a guy that gets used here and there well, dude, it's great talking to you, man, and, and best of luck with Terminus. I'm looking forward to uh, meeting you face-to-face -face and Jordan, too, on, on the Jericho Cruise. It's going to be a blast. Well, thanks for having me on the cruise, and again, thanks for having me here on the show. Appreciate it. All right, dude. We'll talk to you soon, man. Thank you. Yes, sir. Take it easy. Later. Cheers.